0: It is magnificent to be with you today, and what a special day it is that we get to set aside and reflect on our risen Savior. If you're a guest with us, what we've been doing for the last several months, I'd probably say stretching out into over a year, is we've been working through the Gospel of John. And so today, we are just going to pick up where we left off the last time we were together in the Gospel of John, and that is John... Chapter Twenty. I don't know about your family. Probably yours is like ours, where we often will sit around and share good old stories from our past. And it's not unusual for the boys to ask me, "Dad, could you could you share that story again?" Or maybe sitting around with their grandparents. And they'd ask, could you share that, that one story? You, you tell it a particular way. Well, on this resurrection morning, it's not my agenda to try to provide convincing proof to why Jesus rose from the dead and, and to record all of those historical events and facts, nor is it even to go back to describing the significance of His resurrection Rather, we're just going to hear the story all over again. And there's a benefit that comes from just looking at the pages of Scripture and allowing the Word of God to speak to us word for word and verse for verse. As we look here at John chapter 20, we are going to see four different encounters. We're going to see Peter and John encountering an empty tomb. We will also see Mary Magdalene encountering the risen Lord, and then the disciples encountering Jesus himself, and then the remaining disciple, Thomas. So four different encounters. So let's just start here in John chapter 20, verse 1. John wrote, Now on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Have you ever wondered why we gather On the first day of the week. The answer is found there in verse 1 in seven small little words. On the first day of the week. Jesus rose to life on the first day of the week, Sunday. And as a result, his followers will begin to meet on Sunday. The Lord's Day. It's as if every week we are to remind ourselves that Jesus has raised from life. We read on this morning that there is Mary Magdalene and she has come to the tomb early. When we look at the other gospel accounts, we will realize that she is not alone. There are several different women with her. But the writer of this gospel has chosen to zero in on Mary Magdalene's account. When she arrives, there is a surprise. She assumed that the body would still be there on the first day of the week. But there has been a stone that has been taken away from the tomb, and the body is not there. And so she runs, and she meets two of the disciples, Simon Peter and the other disciple whom we believe to be John, the writer of this gospel. And she says to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. Now, who are the they here? We don't know, but we use this expression, don't we? Well, you know what they say. It's just this broad characterization of some people. And it says, we do not know where they have laid him. We, referring to the other ladies here, we don't know where the body is. Verse 3 and following says, So Peter went out with the other disciples, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. And I appreciate some little competition oozing out now from John when it says, But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. So John arrived first. It's believed that he was younger, potentially substantially younger than Peter. He arrives at the empty tomb first. He looks in and he sees some linen cloths, and true to form, Verse 6 says, Then Simon came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Up until this point, they must have assumed that the reason the body wasn't there is it had been stolen. We call him a grave robber. But as they approach the tomb and they look in, they see the linen cloths are still there. And if someone was going to steal the body, why would they take time to unwrap them and lay the cloths out, in fact, fold them up as well? According to one writer, C.K. Barrett, he says, Here, it seems that the body in some way disappeared. From or passed through the clothes and left them lying as they were. It's as if the the cloths were laid out and Jesus' body had just disappeared. And the cloth that was wrapped around his head had been folded up and placed by itself. Verse 8 Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and when he saw and believed. Of all the disciples, it is John, the writer of this gospel, who is the first to connect the dots. That the reason this body is not here, it's not because someone stole the body, it's because our Lord has been raised to life. Verse 9, For as yet... They did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. I have the word must circled here. Herschel Hobb, an old Baptist preacher, said that there are three pillars of the gospel. The first pillar is the virgin birth. We must believe in it. Because Jesus, when he was born, was not born of sin. He was a spotless lamb. The second pillar that we must believe in is the redeeming death of Jesus. And the third pillar that we must believe in is this triumphant resurrection. And if you remove any of these pillars, you have no gospel. And so John records again in verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And according to Psalm 16, verse 10, there is this prophecy of Jesus' resurrection where we read, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. And verse 10 records, then the disciples went back To their homes. I mentioned to you at the beginning that there will be four different encounters here in the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. And what is surprising to us is that in every one of these encounters, there is a surprise by Jesus' followers that his body has not remained in the tomb and that he has been raised to life. It has been alleged over history that Jesus' followers were simply gullible and they would only they would they would follow anything that he would say. But as we look at this chapter, we see that his followers were as surprised as anybody that Jesus was raised to life. This is in spite of three specific times in Jesus' life and ministry where he predicted that he would not only die but be raised to life. And while Jesus' followers seemingly didn't remember any of these predictions, it is ironic that his enemies did. In fact, in Matthew 27, we read after Jesus' death, the next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, and they said to Pilate, Sir, we remember... How that imposter said that while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Here's the first encounter. It's of an empty tomb and Peter and John. And you see what they do after this? They go home. Well, evidently, that's enough excitement for the day. Let's go on back home. And this leads to the second encounter, and that's between the risen Savior And Jesus, verse 11, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Let's just pause for a moment and remember who Mary Magdalene was. We read of her in Luke chapter 8. In her earlier life, she was possessed by seven demons. This was a woman with a jaded past. But there is this principle that runs throughout the scriptures. That is, who is loved much is able to love much. Or who has been forgiven much is able to love much. And her loyalty ran deep. And while Peter and John leave, Mary remains. And she stoops in to look into the tomb And instead of seeing the linen cloth, she sees something different. Verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Now they may seem like a very cruel question. Here is Mary, the closest friend, her Savior, her Lord, has not only died, but he has died with brutality right before her eyes. Not only this, his body has now been taken, and she is coming unraveled. And so they ask this question of her, why are you weeping? But when you think about it, and you understand the story, they're asking this question because they know some information that she does not quite know. In response, she said to them, They, there's that word again, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid them. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And let us not be too hard on Mary, The same thing happened on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 where Jesus had some disciples. They literally went for a walk with him, but they did not know that it was Jesus. It could have been that there was so much sorrow and hurt that it clouded her view, but it also could be that her spiritual eyes still had blinders. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. We might say, really? We, we read in, in chapter 19, verse 39, that there were 75 pounds of spices. If Jesus were 170 to 180 pounds, is this Mary really going to take this grown man's body away? But it speaks to her love and devotion. On verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. It was Charles Spurgeon that said Jesus can preach a perfect sermon in one word. Just one word, Mary. And because the Good Shepherd it offered his voice, and because she was a sheep and she knew the good shepherd's voice, she knew exactly who it was. And you can't blame her, could you? If suddenly she embraces Jesus, isn't that what you would do? That must be what she did, because in verse 17 it says, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. Mary, I've got other places to go. I will be here. In fact, I'll be here for 40 more days. But, but you're not the only one that I am stopping to see. Actually, I can't wait to get to my, my brothers. Now, when you consider the disciples and where they were when Jesus was arrested and how quickly they scattered, it's a pretty remarkable thought that Jesus would identify these disciples as his brothers. Earlier in the Gospels, we see him refer to them as servants, as friends. But now, on the other side of the cross, he refers to him as my brothers. And he cannot wait to get back with them. And so he says, go and share this news. Let me just give you a little historical context. Ladies, during the first century women were so devalued that they would not be permitted to testify in a court of law. And who is it that is to bear the first witness here of Jesus' resurrection? Not just a woman, but a woman with a shady past of being possessed by seven demons. And this just continues the pattern that we see of Jesus. When he is ready to use someone, he tends to use the ones that are the most far away. The ones that have been forgiven so much. That are aware of their sin. And that are so thankful to be forgiven. We ought not to be surprised then, when we read in verse 18, that Mary Magdalene went, might we say, at once And announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. So, so far, we've considered two encounters. That's with an empty tomb and Peter and John. The second encounter was that of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Now, let's consider the third meeting that took place between the disciples as they meet the risen Lord. Verse 19 now, this is the same day, same first day of the week. On the evening of that day, The first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, was this just an expression like, How are you? What's up? What's going on? Or was there more significance to these first words that Jesus declared to these disciples? We might have expected, or at least if it were me, I might have said, where were you? Didn't I tell you this was going to happen, that you were going to abandon me? But the first words out of his mouth are peace. Peace be with you. This ought to be a reminder to us from John 14. Just moments before he would be arrested, he told the disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I'm offering you peace. Verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. And then there is this commissioning. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Mary Magdalene, this empty tomb is not to be a relic, appreciate it, but go and and share the message with the disciples. Disciples, my brothers, now that I am with you and you've observed my hands and my feet and my side, as the Father has sent me, Now I send you. Now all the gospels have this commissioning. The most popular one is found in Matthew, where it says, go and make disciples of all nations. This is John's version of that. As the Father has sent me. So I, I send you. I've experienced the virgin birth. I've experienced the redeeming death. Now the, the triumphant resurrection. Now go and share this message with others. But Before you do that, you're going to need some power. And then in verse 22 it says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. In the same way, that Jesus had prepared his disciples for peace in John 14 before he died on the cross, he also prepared them in chapter 14, 15, and 16 that they would receive the Holy Spirit. I'll just read to you one of those verses. In John 14, verse 26, it reads... But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now on the other side of the cross, he says it's time for you now to receive this Spirit. Some teachers have noticed that when the Father breathed or or spoke, the world came into existence. Now as Jesus breathes. He is making the Holy Spirit available. And that will come to fruition in the second chapter of the book of Acts at Pentecost where the Holy Spirit is poured out. Then we see a very difficult verse to translate of which we won't spend a lot of time. It's on verse 23. He said to the disciples, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you will hold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What is he referring to here? That the disciples have the the power to forgive people's sins? No, only that is for God. I think what we have here is they have been given the gospel, the good news to proclaim, that people can have their sins forgiven. They've been given the keys of the kingdom, another way of putting it, in Matthew 16, verse 19. And they are to use this so that people can be forgiven of their sins. So here's the third encounter. The first was Peter, John at the empty tomb. The second was Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And the third was Jesus and the disciples. This leads to the fourth encounter, and that is Jesus and Thomas. We read in verse 24, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. There's this great truth in the Scriptures that when it comes to the local church, we ought not to forsake assembling together. And that's exactly what Thomas had done. For whatever reason, he was not there that day with the disciples. And the very truth that he needed to see and needed to hear was present. But he wasn't there. I can think of earlier in the ministry... as as I would be preparing a passage of Scripture and praying over it and thinking about the congregation, there were times where there would be a truth that would be found right there in the Scriptures. And then I would think about someone within the church. And I thought, this is magnificent. This is exactly what they need to hear. I cannot wait for Sunday morning to to preach that message. And you know what's going to happen. I'd get up on a Sunday morning and... They are nowhere to be found. And so I suppose now I just say, Lord, what do you want me to say? And then I'll proclaim it. And I just trust that whoever needs to hear it will hear it. But Thomas was absent that day. Verse 25. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And before we get too hard on Thomas, all he is asking for is the same evidence that was given to the disciples. And in God's mercy, verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, and although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Verse 27, he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. What he does in verse 27 is he repeats what he wanted. Thomas wanted in verse 25. He meets him exactly where he was at. And in verse 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. There is no stronger affirmation in all the New Testament of a man believing in Jesus than what Thomas offers here in verse 28. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, is referred to as teacher, son of God, Christ, and Lord. There is only one place where he is identified as God, and it's in this verse. And Jesus does not correct him. Why would he? He is God. So in this passage, what we have seen is four different encounters. Jesus' empty tomb there with Peter and John. Jesus revealing himself to Mary Magdalene. Jesus revealing himself to the disciples. Jesus revealing himself to Thomas. As John is writing this chapter, he is allowing the argument to flow a certain way because there's one more encounter yet to be had. And you know who it is? It's you. Because we read here in verse 29, Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There is four encounters, but there is a fifth in the waiting, and that is for you to believe yourself. In verse 30 it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. If you had been with us, During our study of the Gospel of John, you would have learned that there were seven different signs in this Gospel. They all pointed that Jesus is God. That he turned water into wine. He healed a paralyzed man. He fed the 5,000. He walked on water. He healed a man born blind. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And then finally we see him resurrected. And all of this is pointing for a particular purpose that Jesus is God. And verse 31 says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What I'd like to do in just the remaining moments I have with you is just to review this passage and identify Four different words of what it looks like for you to believe, for you to have your own encounter, and to experience this eternal life that is spoken about here in this passage. The first word I would like you to look at is found in chapter 20, verse 8. It is the word, saw. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. There are six different Greek words for the word "see" or "saw." The one that is used here in verse eight is the word "eodin," which means perceived with understanding. When John looked into the tomb and saw that it was empty and there were linen cloths, it clicked for him that. Jesus was not there, not because someone had stolen the body, but that he had been raised to life. In order to encounter Jesus, you must have this belief that Jesus is the one he claims to be. He is the sinless God. See it with spiritual eyes. The second thing, the second word that I want to leave to you is one that we heard repeated. It's found in verse 19. It's when Jesus met with the disciples after his resurrection. He uses the second word. and It is the word peace. Now that word peace certainly can speak about tranquility of being out in the forest, sitting aside a bubbling brook. But that word peace can also be an objective kind. It's a word that can be used when there's two warring nations that are fighting with one another. And then there is a ceasefire that is called. And now they are no longer enemies, but they are reconciled or at peace with one another. When Jesus died on the cross, when he raised to life, he was allowing there to be peace between your sinfulness and a holy, clean, and good God. There is peace available to you today. To believe that Jesus raised from the life, to believe that Jesus alone has made that possible to you. Here's a third word, it's found there in verse 28. It's the word Lord. It's in Thomas's profession that he identifies Jesus as Lord or Master. Paul would write in Romans, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to have an encounter with Jesus? It means to believe, to see that this is true. It means to seek peace with God through what Jesus has done for you. Not only that, but through repentance in which we call him Lord, our, our master over all of our life. And then I'll give you the final word. It's a precious word to me. It's still there in verse 28. It's twice in verse 28. It's the word my. My Lord. My God. He is not distant. He is close. He is personal. He is Relational. Can you see this pattern throughout John 20 of people meeting Jesus? John and Peter, Mary Magdalene, the disciples, Thomas. This passage opens a door for you, for you to meet Jesus as well. I've been thinking this week, what difference has the resurrection made in my life? And if it's all right, I'll just take a moment here of testimony. For me, the resurrection is very personal. If I had, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, I'd still be in my sins. I remember what it was like to just swim in guilt, to be condemned, to feel despair and and heavy discouragement. It was like wearing it like a heavy blanket. And I can think of what happened when I met Jesus and the freedom that has come from that. I'm stunned at the grace of God to think of where I am today and where I was when he found me. And the sins that I used to struggle with, I'm not saying I don't struggle with sin now, but, I, but not nearly as much as I used to. If Jesus had not come, I would lack purpose. Jesus was raised from the dead and he told Mary Magdalene, go tell the disciples. He tells the disciples to now, as the Father has sent me, I send you and I don't have to wonder what my purpose in life is. It's to go and proclaim this message. And I'm reminded frequently how, how few people actually know this message that we can have peace with God. If it's all right to borrow a story from my wife, who in preparation for a half marathon running last Saturday, she said, I'm going to get these bracelets. I think it's called John 3.16, and they got the colors of the gospel. And her plan was that every mile, she would hand out one of these bracelets and tell people about John 3.16. What a magnificent idea. And there were times that she was either before the race, after the race, or during the race, she would ask people, do you know John 3.16? More than a few says, I have no idea what you're talking about. There are people that don't know of their sin, that Jesus has died for them, that they can be saved from that sin. And how will they know unless we go and tell them? I would be lacking purpose, but because he rose from the dead, I and you have purpose because we have been sent to share it with others. Thirdly, if he had not raised from the dead, we would be gathering this morning in vain. There'd be no reason for us to do this. Friend, if you've never trusted Christ, if you never had this encounter with him, let me tell you one of the benefits that come from that is you get all sorts of friendships you immediately enter into the family of God. Whether it's at this church or another church, and they take an interest in your life, and they can tell when you're down, tell when you're absent, and they follow up with you and say, is everything okay with you? But because he rose from the dead, we have meaningful relationships with one another. And then finally, if he had not been raised from the dead, Death is final. And those loved ones that have passed away, that know Christ, we would never see again. Life truly would be empty and meaningless. You might as well grab all you can before you die, because that's all there is. Earlier this week, I had a friend for over 30 years pass away of cancer. Things like election results would get us down in a deep depression and we'd be given over to fear and anger. Like cancer, depression, heart disease, all these things would overtake us. Conflict in marriage. Conflict in family, conflict in work would really chew us up. And how about this, this frustration of just continuing to fight indwelling sin. But Jesus did raise to life. This week I was visiting with a friend that was telling me a story. He was in his living room and he was with his kids. And as he looked over to a part of the wall, there was a little jack in the wall called a phone jack and his his children asked him dad what in the world is this and he said well long ago son (laughs) there used to be phones that would have a cord from the phone back down to the wall and that's how you would make a phone conversation and they're like why would you do it that way and the dad was like you know that that seems like a faint memory but when you think about the resurrection for those of us who have met jesus and had our sins forgiven it could be a time for 500 years from now where we'll be talking with one another and say hey do you remember do you remember cancer do you remember what that was like and how, how depressing that was? And remember seeing people die as a result of that? Or do you remember, do you remember when there would be an election and 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 I person didn't our person didn't win? And you remember how upset we would get about that? Not really. <laughs> or do you remember this? Do you remember the conflict? Remember how difficult marriage was and and family relationships? Or do you remember when someone would pass away and die and, and how that would be so crippling to us? Kind of like that old phone jack. Barely. So Here's what comes with the resurrection. is This is a part of the package. When Jesus rose from the dead... He does away with all of that problem, all of that strife, and offers to us an eternal hope that we can stand on. But here's the thing, loved one. While that gift is available to all, not all have received it. And let us just extend this encounter invitation to you this morning before we end our service. We read here of several different encounters, but there's room for you today. Would you reflect on this passage with me? And are you prepared to place your trust in what Jesus has done for you? To receive the peace that is given to you through Christ? To repent, to allow Him to be Lord over all of your life and enter into this relationship where He is yours And you are His. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for not just the story today, but a historic event. And while many of us could reflect on someone like a George Washington and say, I've heard about him, I've read about him, but I've never met him. The story of the resurrection The crucifixion, the virgin birth is much different than that. It's not just a story, but there's an invitation to join that story by belief, by having our eyes open to say, I desire to have this peace with you. Friends, if you're here today and you've never entered into this relationship with Christ, you don't need a priest. You don't need some ritual to do that. You, you would just open your life to it. It could be something like this. And if this is your heart, this is your desire, you could pray something like this. Father, I realize that I need you. I have sinned. I have broken the law. I experience guilt and condemnation. I realize now that, that Jesus has come to take my guilt, my sin, my condemnation on himself. And I desire this peace with you. I desire this forgiveness with you. I, I want that relationship that Thomas experienced when he said, my Lord. And I understand that that means that I have, I'm a follower of yours then. You will be king and ruler of my life. And I'm going to give all of my life over to you. And it's through Christ that we pray this. Amen. Amen.